You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We have been working our way through the book of Galatians this fall, and the summary sentence of this book, if we could kind of boil it all down into a sentence, would be this, that the unadulterated gospel is the key to transformation and freedom. So what I want to do tonight is kind of zero in on that last phrase. What does it mean that the gospel is the key to freedom? So with that in mind, let's look at this passage from Galatians chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 1. And I'll just go ahead and read this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Nothing like emasculation and circumcision. Just wrap up your Tuesday night, but here we go. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Fun passage. Let me pray and then we'll read it again. But I'll do the talking. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for a break that's coming up. Father, I know at this point in the semester, um, so many of us are just worn out. And we're just eager to get back home, get back into our beds, and do laundry, and have a home-cooked meal. And so, Father, thank you for breaks. Thank you for this semester. I pray now that you'd give us focus, that you'd give us attention to your word, that our hearts would be malleable to your spirit. So please be with us and teach us uh, true and beautiful and good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I really do feel like that is uh, the central word that describes the college experience in in many ways. It's the the word freedom. You get here, you come to UT, you go to college whenever it's your time, and there are no parents, there's no curfews, there's no rules. It's just freedom. 
absolute freedom. You can hang out with who you want to hang out with. You can eat what you want to eat. Uh, you can stay up as late as you want. You can sleep in as late as you want. Freedom. Uh, but you know as well as I do that ironically what feels like college freedom can easily feel like slavery. Uh, think about it. Think about just the amount of options and choices that y'all have. Just think about like all the choices you have to make. Like which major are you going to pick? There's like a million. Which major are you going to pick? Uh, what friend group are you going to ultimately kind of settle down with and kind of hang out with? Uh, which church do you want to be a part of if you're into the church thing? There's like a thousand in Knoxville. Um, what campus ministry do you want to be a part of? There's like over 30 different campus ministries at UT. And so all of these choices, all of these options can feel paralyzing. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel like the shackles of slavery where you feel like I can't even make a decision. And so some of you are of the persuasion where you're like, I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to be involved in six different campus ministries. I'm going to bounce around from three or four different churches. I'll, go, I'll do four different majors. And that feels just as enslaving, just as exhausting. The freedom leads to slavery. Or think about it in, in college. In many ways, you're free to reinvent yourself unless you came to college with like 30 people from your high school, which is the case for a lot of you. But you're free to reinvent yourself in college where you really can try on a new personality like you're trying on a new outfit. It's like I'm free to just kind of be somebody different than I was in, co- in high school. And then you quickly feel the internal pressure of the slavery of I've got to maintain that image. I've got to maintain this new persona I've created. Uh, and of course, when you get to college, there is largely zero adult supervision for the most part. And so you really are free to go wild and go berserk and bananas and drink and party your brains out. And at first that feels really fun and really exciting and it feels like you feel really cool making out with a red Solo cup. And um, you feel alive and yet you know that that quickly you feel like you're captured by that and you feel it feels hollow and it feels kind of empty. And my point is, is that what feels like freedom quickly feels like slavery. And to illustrate this, I don't know if you've seen the TV show the Office. But if you've seen it, there are two characters on there, Andy and Aaron, that are dating. And they go out for a while and they break up. And Andy's having a really hard time trying to figure out why Aaron is so quickly moving on with her life. And so he goes to one of his co-workers to talk about it. It's this guy named Clark, who weirdly enough looks a lot like Jefferson from the band. And he comes up to Clark and he's like, alright, Zero, Clark 30, uh, Like, what do you think? Like, Help me understand why she's moving on so quickly. And here's what Clark says. He says, you know, look at it this way. Being a bachelor is not all bad. You got your freedom now. Like, in other words, what he's trying to, he's trying to comfort Andy by saying, you're free. You have no more constraints from your lady friend. You're going to do whatever you want. You can see whoever you want. Like, you're free. And Andy gives him this look of, like, total disgust. Like, you don't understand what my life is like. And here's what he says. Last night, I ordered a pizza by myself, and I ate it over the sink like a rat. (laughs) (laughs) And he gives you this picture of, okay, I'm free. Yeah, but this is miserable. Freedom feels like slavery in many ways. And maybe we've misunderstood what freedom is. If freedom feels like slavery in the end to our experience, then maybe we've missed the whole point of what freedom really is. And that's what this passage claims. 
Right at the beginning, if you look at verse 1, Paul says Jesus has freed us. It is for freedom that Christ has freed us. But okay, what does that freedom look like? What has he freed us from? And what has he freed us for? And those are the two big, really, those are the ideas that I want to look at with you tonight. What has he freed us from? And then secondly, for what purpose? What has he freed us for? So let's look first at trying to answer the question, what has Jesus freed us from? And to kind of get to this, this is where we have to do a little bit of background work to the book of Galatians. If you, if you remember, if you've been with us this semester, the whole reason this letter was written in the first place is that there was this group of Jewish Christians that were going around and teaching, if you want God to fully accept you, you need Jesus in your life, but you also need to obey the Old Testament law, which included circumcision. And if you remember, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul makes this reference to this group of teachers as the, quote, circumcision party, which I think is a really interesting alternative political party. Like, for the next, uh, for the next presidential debate, I think we should have representatives from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and the circumcision party to hash it out. But their, their, their whole point was the gospel is Jesus plus your obedience, And here's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He he takes that one example, circumcision, and he says, look, if you add any requirement to Jesus as a prerequisite to be accepted by God, then you actually, in the end, don't really need Jesus. You don't need a Savior because functionally you're, you're operating as your own Savior. I don't need Jesus to save me. I can just do it myself. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you then. And he says in verse 3 and 4, he makes the same point. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed, interesting word there, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. And here's the point he's making. He's saying, look, every one of us has a choice to make. When you stand before God and you say, how am I going to be accepted by you and presentable and justified in your sight? You have two options. You can either say, Jesus alone justifies me completely by his grace. Or you can say, I'm just going to try my best and do as hard as I can to be a good person. It's an either or option. You can either be justified by Christ, by grace, or do it yourself. And if you choose the option, I do it myself, I just want to be a good person, Jesus or Paul says, you have been severed from Christ. It's an either or option. But then he does something really interesting. He says, whatever you add to the plus sign of the equation of your life, I need Jesus plus something else. Whatever that something else is for you, Paul's going to say, that is the thing that you are enslaved to. That is your slave master, whatever you put on the other side of the plus sign. This is what he's saying at the end of uh, uh, verse 1, when he says, uh, or verse 2, submitting to a yoke of slavery. And look, here's what this looks like practically. Some of you in this room say, you know, I like Jesus. I want Jesus to be a part of my life. I like going to RUF and hearing about this Jesus guy. I like praying, going to conferences every now and then, whatevs. I like the Jesus thing. But you know, he doesn't always make me feel really important. What makes me feel really important is when I'm just killing it at school. So like the formula for me is I'll take some Jesus plus 
I want good grades and accomplishments and achievements in school. That's the equation that's going to make me whole. And Paul says, okay, well, let me introduce you to your slave master. It's called your GPA. It's called your resume. Your deepest allegiance is not to Jesus. It's to that thing. That is your slave master. And just think about how that is treating you as a, as a slave master. You're becoming a workaholic. You're stressed out. You're anxious. You're always on edge. You can't sleep. When you get a bad grade, you're devastated. You're on edge. You are not free. You are a slave. That's what he's saying. Some of you are like, well, uh, that's not it for me. Um, I, I like the Jesus thing. Yeah, I'll come to RUF. I'll go to church every now and then. I'll pray. I want Jesus in my life, but he doesn't really existentially like satisfy me. He doesn't fill me with joy. I hear people talking about like Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings, and it just hasn't been my experience. My experience is when I spend time with Jesus and I pray or I read the Bible, honestly, it's just kind of boring. I want it to be joyful, but I just, I'm bored by it. So the formula, or what I'm going to do, is just before I go to bed, I'm just going to look at illicit images on my phone, and that'll be the thing that fills me with joy. I'll take some Jesus, but I'll also have this thing called porn that really fills me. And Paul's saying, okay, let me introduce you to your slave master. Uh, if it's Jesus plus porn, and you're looking to pornography to be the thing that does for you what Jesus only Jesus can, then the hook is set. And like, I don't have to stand up here and convince you that you're a slave to that. But Paul's making the point, whatever you put on the other side of the plus sign, that is the thing that has you shackled and enslaved and miserable. If you think uh, it's Jesus plus how people think of me, you're a slave to people's opinions. You're a slave to people's approval. If it's the, the formula that makes me most full is Jesus plus being smart, or Jesus plus being funny, Jesus plus being athletic, Jesus plus being attractive, uh, you're a slave to having to maintain that image of yourself. Paul is saying whatever you put on the other side of the plus sign, that is your slave master, and it controls you and it owns you. I want you to think about this for a second. Think about yourself on a boat. I'm on a boat. I, I picture uh, not the yacht like the video. I want you to picture like a like a pirate ship out at sea, and you're out at sea. You got all these shipmates, and there's this captain that's in charge of the ship, and this captain is just like the worst. He's mean. He's bossy. He's demanding. But there's nothing that anybody can do about it because he's so like strong. He's just like jacked. He's like the dude, the T-Rex that's like pounding protein shakes and like lifting more weight than your car. He's like he's so strong. There's nothing you can do about it. But he's such a turd. Nobody likes him. He's always barking around orders. And so if you're if you're out on the deck and he sees you, he's like mop this deck, and you grab the mop and you just mop it. And you're so afraid he's gonna beat you or whip you. But one day when you're out at sea, this other ship pulls up aside along of yours, and there's this. Uh, a person that exits that boat and gets onto your boat. Let's just call him Jesus. And uh, he's, he's incredibly strong. He's so much stronger than the, the mean captain. And he just beats the captain up and like puts him in, a, I don't know, a chokehold and puts him in the corner. And he makes this announcement to all the people on the ship, of which you're a part of. He says, I'm the new captain of the ship. You have been freed from the tyranny of this monster. You are free. And I am good and I am in charge now. And everyone's rejoicing. Yay, like the old captain's gone. 
And Jesus says, okay, I could kill this captain right now, but instead I'm just going to drop him off at the next port, which is like 200 miles away. So we're going to keep him on this boat, but we'll drop him off in the next 200 miles. Everyone's excited. Let's say a week later you're out on the deck and you're just sunbathing, you're just enjoying the new freedom that you have, you're just loving life. And the old ship captain walks beside you and he says, hey, you got to mop this deck. And just out of instinct, out of reflex, you just jump up and you grab a mop and you start mopping. You're like, oh gosh, I hate this. This is miserable. Ten minutes passes and Jesus walks by and he's like, you know, you don't have to do that, right? Like, you're freed. You don't have to do that. That's the point that Paul is making in this uh, passage. He's saying you have been freed from the tyranny and the control of whatever is at the other end of the plus sign. You don't have to obey their orders anymore. Jesus has freed you. You don't need to justify yourself anymore through your work. You don't have to validate yourself anymore through your GPA or through your accomplishments or whatever you're involved in. You don't have to self-medicate with porn and with Netflix and with alcohol and hooking up. Like You don't have to do any of that anymore. You've been freed from it all. But in order for you to live in that freedom, just like you on the boat, you're going to have to put in effort to believe that that is true because all of your instincts are wired to believe the opposite. Your old slave masters are still roaming around your life barking orders at you. And so the old slave masters are going to come up and say, Obey me. You have a test tomorrow and you haven't studied for it, you better pull an all-nighter tonight. I don't care if you had four hours of sleep last night. I don't care if you got any sleep this weekend. You better bust your hump because if you bomb this test, then who are you going to be? Who are you if you screw up this test tomorrow? Obey me. And you just say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll do that. I need that. Or the voice comes in and says, obey me. I know you've had a rough week. You can take that shot. You can take four, five, six shots. You deserve it. You need to relax a little bit. Chill out with your friends. Get wild a little bit tonight. And you say, yes, sir, I can do that. And Paul is saying, um, the old slave masters are still barking orders at you. And that is why he says at the end of that sentence, stand firm, therefore, that you don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Because you are hardwired with, with a case of spiritual Stockholm Syndrome, where you will voluntarily return to your old slave masters. He says, stand firm. You cannot lose his love for you, but you can lose your sense of freedom. And for you to be free, it actually requires effort. I think this is why so many Christians have stuck, funk, you know, they're always in a funk, I'm blah, I don't know what I feel spiritually. It's because you you hear about God's grace. You hear about the freedom that's offered to you. And you take it and you believe it. But then there's no effort put on your part to actually stand firm in the freedom. And so you just go right back to the old slave masters. But he says you have to stand firm. You have to be vigilant. You have to be alert. This is why we read the Bible and pray and encourage you to go to church and things like RUF. These aren't just boxes that you check so that you feel good about yourself. Or that you feel guilty about if you don't do them. That's not the point. Why do, you, why do people read the Bible? You read the Bible so that you can be reminded of his liberating love for you. You pray so that you can be reminded of the fact that you are free. 
You go to church because you're already a slave by the time you get there Sunday morning. And you need to be reminded, I am free in Christ. I don't have to listen to the barking orders of these old slave masters. I'm free. That's what you're freed from. You're freed from having to validate yourself, of having to put anything else on the other side of the plus sign. You are accepted by God. You have a full life. You have a whole life because of Jesus plus nothing. That's what you're freed from. What are you freed for? This is the second thing, and this one will be quicker. And I think this is the point where a lot of Christians kind of get confused about. I think we kind of get the idea we've been freed from all this bad stuff, but what's the point? What are we freed for? Well, if if you're reading through the book of Galatians up to this point, it can be really easy to ask this question of, okay, if God really has freed me, and I'm I'm the recipient of this avalanche of unending grace and forgiveness, then I really can do whatever I want. If I, you know, if I really am free, I'm free to live however I want. And look at what he says in verse 13 in response to that. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, yes, you've been freed. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the thing that you've been freed from. Let me try to illustrate it like this. Let's say over the course of the next year, I started putting on a lot of weight, and I just kind of let myself go. Stopped exercising, three milkshakes a day, uh, like just went after it. And I put on so much weight, and I got so obese that my health was getting really seriously uh, in jeopardy. And so the doctor looks at me, and he says, look, unless you undergo some really extensive surgery, you are going to die. There's so much weight on your internal organs. Your heart can't pump what it needs to pump. Like your insides are getting crushed. You have to undergo the surgery. And so I agree. And I do like the deluxe version of whatever the surgery is. Liposuction. They're putting stents in my arteries. I get all cleaned out. I look back. The beautiful self that I am right here. And, um, and I'm saved. Like my life is like I'm saved. I was going to die. I'm saved. And because you're a good friend and a good student and you just love your campus minister, you come and visit me in in the hospital as I'm recovering on the day that I'm going to be released. And I'm about to be released and you come in and you're like, Matt, dude, you have a new lease on life. You've got a second chance at life. It's unbelievable. You've been saved. You've been freed. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do on your first day back out in the real world? And I look at you and I say, man, here's what I want to do. I want you to take me to Gus's Good Times Deli. And I'm going to get a steak in a sack and an and a extra tray of just fries as high as they can pile them up. And I'm going to see if they can deep fry the steak in a sack. And I may come in. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop by the store on the way there. I'm going to get two jars, one of just liquefied butter and one of gravy. And I'm going to sit down. I'm going to pour that butter all over that deep fried steak in a sack. I'm going to pour that gravy all over those fries. And I'm going to eat until I throw up. That does sound amazing, doesn't it? You would look at me and you'd be very confused because you'd be like, Matt, you got another chance at life. You have been saved. Your life has been spared from that stuff which was literally killing you and was about to kill you. Why in the world would you go back to the very thing that was killing you? And that's what Paul is saying. He is saying, look, you have been freed from sin, but you're not freed to sin. That's not the point of your freedom. 
So what's the point? If it's not to just indulge and to go back and to live and destroy yourself and do whatever you want, then what's the point? Look at verse 13. He says, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what Paul just said. You have been freed up to go love somebody else now. And actually love is what the law is all about. In other words, you have been freed by the grace of God to obey the law of God. Now this is very subtle, but I think it's super important. So put your thinking caps on for one second and think about this. Here's what Paul is saying. In Christ, Christians are freed from the obligation of having to obey God's law in order to be accepted by him. And now we are freed up and obligated and enabled to obey that very law. We have, it, it, let me put it this way. We have been freed from the law in order to earn God's favor, but now we're freed up to obey the law just because we love God and we love people. Here's how Tim Keller put it. He puts it like this. The gospel frees us from the law for the law. Now, if that seems confusing, let me try to illustrate it this way. Uh, I recently heard about the Hall of Fame induction speech by Brett Favre. Uh, As you know, he's the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers forever, awesome quarterback, whatever. And he gives this speech that's televised. And in this speech, he tells a story about when he was in high school. His dad was a high school coach, his high school coach. And he had a week... Uh, I guess he had a week uh, when he was playing in high school that he just had a really bad week. And because his dad was a coach, he walked by and he actually overheard his dad telling the other coaches something about his performance. And here's here's what his dad said about him. I can assure you of one thing about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself. Brett Favre never told anybody that story. He didn't even tell his mom, who was hearing it for the first time in, like, the Hall of Fame, like, room. And he tells this story, and with um, tears streaming down his eyes, here's what he says. He says, I never forgot that statement. I never forgot what my dad said. And I want you to know, Dad, I spent the rest... His dad had passed away by this point. So he's kind of uh, speaking to his dad out there somewhere. And he says, I want you to know, Dad, I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself. I hope I succeeded. And what he's saying is, and what you see is, that Brett Favre, uh, he pursued good on the field. He was driven to do well and to perform and to exceed, largely in the hopes that he would be redeemed before his father. And it was marked by insecurity and uncertainty. I hope I did enough. I hope this was good enough for you now, Dad. I hope I redeemed myself. Uh, It was marked by fear. It was marked by an endless need for validation. And that is the behavior of a slave. I mean, don't get me wrong, slaves can be incredibly successful, incredibly productive. But that's a slave mentality. I will perform with the hopes that I will be redeemed before my father. Christians strive to do good in this world because we have been, past tense, redeemed by our father. That's the distinction. The distinction is that the gospel frees us from the law, meaning that we no longer have to obey it in order to be accepted. We're freed up to obey it it because we already are accepted. 
We're freed from the slavery of the uncertainty, the insecurity. Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I going to enough Christian stuff? Am I a good enough leader? Am I not screwing up enough? You're freed from the slavery and you're actually, because you are marked with the security of God's love and grace, you're enabled to go love somebody else other than yourself. You're pulled out of your own prison of narcissism to go love somebody else. And here's what this looks like practically. I'll, I'll tell you this and tell you one quick story and then we'll be done. Let's take one example from your life to flesh out what this would look like practically. Let's talk about the example of forgiving your roommate. Your roommate is annoying, they're loud, they're messy, they're always in the room that you want to be in. Like, your roommate is the worst. You know it, I know it, we all know it. Uh, This is why you feel bitterness towards your roommate, resentment towards your roommate. Uh, You talk bad about them with your friends. Uh, You don't want to love them, you don't want to serve them, you don't want to forgive them. You are just waiting out the clock until the lease runs out and then you can move in with somebody that you like a whole lot more. Like, in that all, all y'all's experience? Okay. Here's what the gospel does in, in, in this little slice of your life. Gospel freedom means that you don't have to live in the fear of God's punishment for your lack of love for your roommate. Like, God is not going to punish you and ruin your life because of your sin of gossip and your sin of lack of forgiveness in your sin of lack of love for your roommate. Like, he doesn't need you to be a kind, loving, gracious, perfect roommate in order to love you. He actually just loves you because he loves you. You're freed from the condemnation of how you've responded to your roommate. But you have to ask yourself the question, okay, why am I so pissed at my roommate? And you ask yourself, what is it that I deeply believe about the situation. I think the reason why you're so angry with your roommate and bitter and resentful towards them is because they're taking something from you. Something you think that you need, which is, if I were to guess, your comfort or you having your own way. So you think functionally in this life, in order for me to be a full, happy, joyful person, I need Jesus plus comfort. Jesus plus me getting my way. And the gospel looks at you and says, wait, no, that's not true. That is not true. You are freed to only be in Jesus alone. You don't need Jesus plus comfort. He's your comfort. He's your assurance. He is your rock. And when that sinks in and you can actually delete from the equation Jesus plus needing comfort, there is no more need for you to be angry with your roommate. No more need for you to be resentful. So what can you do? You're actually freed up. To go move towards somebody that frustrates you with love and with grace and with patience and with tenderness and with serving them. And guess what? That's actually you obeying the law then. That's you doing what God has wanted you to do all along. You're freed up from having to be the perfect roommate in order to get God to like you. In order to actually love your roommate because God already loves you. I'll end with this. Uh, You remember the movie Tangled? Of course you do. We all watched it last night. And um, the movie Tangled, as you know, centers around... um, (laughs) We didn't watch the movie Tangled last night altogether. Um, Rapunzel, of course, is she's trapped in this tower by somebody that's claiming to love her, claiming to be her mom. And the way that she keeps her trapped in this tower 
is she says, if you leave this tower, like you will die. Like it's dangerous out there. So you, you will find life and safety and protection right here in this tower. And so Rapunzel is tricked into thinking, I gotta stay here. And she feels trapped. And what Paul is saying in this passage is this is where so many of us are. Whatever you're putting on the other side of that plus sign, you are thinking this is where safety and protection and life is, and I can't leave it. I can't leave the way that I need my body to look a certain way. I can't leave my need for money. I can't leave my need for uh, the way that people think about me. I can't leave these things. This is where safety and protection is. But what happens to Rapunzel is that this Flynn Rider guy comes in from the outside and breaks the deception and shows her, you're a slave. You think life is here? You're trapped in a tower. This isn't life. Come out of the tower and experience real freedom, real life. And I think this is what Jesus is doing with us tonight through this passage. Is he's coming to us from the outside and saying, wake up. Like, open up your eyes. You think freedom and life and protection is found in money and how people think of you and your grades and your success and the shape and the size of your body and how funny you are and how smart you are? You are trapped. You're a slave. That's not where life is. Come out. Come to me. Jesus plus nothing and experience real freedom. I will not treat you the way that these other slave masters treat you. Come to me. And be freed from having to perform yourself, having to validate yourself. And be freed up to love in the way that you were created to love. That's the invitation. Come to Jesus and experience real freedom. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you have set us free in Christ. That we cannot lose your love, we cannot lose your grace, we cannot lose your commitment to us. Yeah, Father, if we're honest, so often we just we find ourselves enslaved, miserable, exhausted, because we not we don't live like we're free. We live like slaves. Father, convince us once again of your liberating grace and mercy for us. That true life is found in Jesus and nothing else. Father, would you, by your Spirit, abide with us as we, by faith, abide in you? We pray all this in Jesus' name.